Welcome to Truth Seeing Mamas. I'm Carissa. And I'm Christian. We are both pastor's wives and mamas who are seeking truthful accounts of what it looks like for believers to have faithful endurance in real life. We hope that these conversations not only touch your heart, but also encourage you to have genuine community with other believers. We believe we can't truly be all God called us to be unless we embrace a biblical and meaningful community with our church bodies. Welcome to Truth Seeking Mamas. We are so glad you're here. Hey friends, thanks for coming back again this week. You were in for an absolute treat this week. Christian sits down with her sweet friend, Anne, and they talk about the passing of her husband, Mike. So if you get emotional like myself, you might want to grab a tissue for this, but I promise you will be blessed by listening this week. Thanks for coming back again every week. We'll talk to you soon. Welcome to Truth Seeking Mamas. This is Christian, and today I have a most wonderful guest for us. Her name is Anne, and she is one of my dearest friends. She is going to be talking with us today about someone very special um, to her heart and her life and someone very special to our family's life as well, her husband, uh, Mike. And so I want to say hello, Anne, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Christian. Thank you so much. It's um, good to be here. I appreciate you asking me to share. Yes. So we're very um, grateful to have you on today. Uh, would you just please share with us about your family and about Mike? Sure. Um, Mike and I met in 1994. Um, we were both working in Pakistan uh, and we met the summer of 94 and we were married uh, in December of 1995 Um we have one daughter, Eden, who was born in 1997. So she just turned 25 this year. Um, Mike and I lived in various places throughout our marriage. We lived in um, British Columbia, Canada, when we were first married. And we moved to South Carolina, then to Alabama. We spent about 12 years in Alabama. Then, uh, in 2019, we moved to Southeast Georgia. Um, and uh, um, the events of 2020 for everyone were quite uh, unexpected and rocked just about everybody's world. Um, but our world was definitely rocked when we found out that Mike, um, well, he was diagnosed in April of 2020 with esophageal cancer. Um, he was 45 when he was diagnosed. So what was the timeline? So what cued you off to something was up? Something wasn't right with Mike? Mm. Um, you know, it's an interesting and roundabout story. We missed the signs as, um, I look back on it and we even, we talked about it a lot once he was diagnosed, how we missed them. Um, when we, when Mike was offered a, a promotion, a job being the uh, manager of a tree nursery in Southeast Georgia, we decided to make that move. Um, we were getting our house in Alabama ready to, well, not necessarily sell, but we were trying to figure out what to do with it. It needed a new roof. So he was putting a roof on the house and had a fall 
um, had a fall off the roof. And thankfully, there was no, um, you know, no broken bones, no, nothing major, but he had a lot of pain. And when he was in Georgia, he started seeing a chiropractor for that pain, and it got much better. And over the months, it healed. So we moved in, in August of uh, 2019. Um, and around December, he was still having pain, uh, like in his uh, diaphragm, and had had that ever since the fall. So we just assumed the pain that he was having was from that. And all through January and February, he was still having that. Um, but it was March when he also started having trouble swallowing. Um, every time we would sit down for a meal, his first few bites just would not go down well. And he would excuse himself and come back and feel a little bit better and could eat more. But after about two weeks of that, which, you know, strangely enough, we thought it was maybe a sinus infection and he had drainage that was kind of giving him trouble. Um, but after two weeks, we realized that was not what it was. And, um, you know, at the beginning of March, the COVID shutdown had happened. And this is actually probably around the end of March that we started realizing we should get you to the doctor. Um, it was hard to get in to see a doctor. We did not have a doctor in our new town that we'd been seeing. So we were calling around trying to find somebody taking new patients. And most doctors were not taking new patients at the beginning of COVID. Um, but finally, um, I believe it was April 14th, he got in to see a regular GP who immediately knew something was up and started tests. So uh, that was April 14th of 2020. He was uh, officially diagnosed on April 24th of 2020 with what they said then was third stage esophageal cancer. Um, in May, we went for a second opinion to Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. I believe that was like the 12th of May was that appointment. Um, by June 1st, we were back in Georgia with a wonderful group of doctors in Savannah uh, to start chemo and radiation. And so he started that on June 1st. Um, chemo was very hard on his body and he ended up in the hospital in July twice. Um, they chose to stop doing chemo for a while. He took radiation in August, which actually was very helpful. He felt better. He could actually eat some, um, put on a little bit of weight. But when he went back in September to do scans and see how the treatments had helped, um, they had made very little uh, impact on the tumor. And uh, we prayed and he decided that he would rather not do any more treatments. And he went home to be with the Lord. October 17th of 2020. So um, about six months from the time we found out that he had it. What was it like with your community surrounding you during those times? What were some things that, um, what were some ways that people were able to love you guys well during this 
very difficult and quick transition um, because not only had you guys been really involved in a community and then moved, but now you're in a new place mm-hmm. um, during a very difficult time. Um, yep. So what does that look like? What did that look like for you all? That's a great question. Um, I do think our experience was certainly a bit unique. First of all, because we just moved, as you said, to a new community. And secondly, because this all was happening during COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, we spoke often about how we did not understand God's, in his providence, his purpose in moving us away from the community we had been a part of for so long, uh, the community and the church and the family that was around us um, just before something like this was going to happen in our lives. Didn't make sense to us. Um, and, and it doesn't need to. The reality is that is how it was. And it gave us and others a unique opportunity to um, learn how to care for and be present for people through grief, whether they're in your midst or not, <laughs> so to speak. Um, for us, we felt a little isolated at first, um, but I think that was more because of COVID. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm trying to think how to, how to express this. We, we felt incredibly loved and held by our community, our church community back in Alabama. Um, we knew that if we were still living there, we'd be you know, surrounded. We would be brought meals, um, even, even with COVID. We felt that uh, they would show us their love. We were astounded at the way that they reached over the barriers of distance and COVID throughout Mike's illness with, and and not just our community there, certainly them, but friends and family from all over the world. We were reminded at how um, blessed we'd been through the years to know people from our time in Pakistan, people um, from our time in Canada, Mike's family in Canada, friends who we had in the United Kingdom and in Australia and in South Africa and um, all over the United States who reached over that barrier of uh, time and of distance and showed us love in practical ways. And some of those ways simply being phone calls and, um, text messages on a regular basis just to say we're thinking of you and praying for you we haven't forgotten you um people who knew that a time like that was going to be a time of stressed financial you know uh, resources and who gave so generously to our need people who came to visit us out in the middle of nowhere in rural georgia who came from um you know, from Michigan and South Carolina and, um, and Alabama, um, who came and spent time with us and just were there. 
um, present with us, reminding us how good life is, helping us to laugh and enjoy things. And, you know, early on when friends would come and visit, Mike couldn't really eat. Um, He had a, a feeding tube from pretty early on. But one of his favorite things was always to eat and to cook for people and uh, to take people out to restaurants we liked. And so when friends would come from other places, even though he couldn't eat, he would say, well, let's load up and go to such and such a restaurant so we can just enjoy time together. And, you know, Christian, as I look back on it, there were so many practical ways that people showed us love financially, through just being in touch, through notes and cards, very especially through their prayers. The thing that stands out in my mind is those who were simply present. They just came to be with us. Um, and, and not necessarily just physically present. To me, the, the phone calls and the just talking about what's going on in day-to-day life is presence just letting them, letting us know that they cared about us and hadn't forgotten us. That was huge to us. I remember going to visit you all. Mm -hmm. And I remember pulling up to your house and coming inside and I remember I made you banana bread. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And um, I remember seeing all of the cards. Yes. I mean, there were strands and strands of cards hung everywhere (laughs) in your home. Mm -hmm. That was a daily reminder of all the people praying for us. Yeah. Praying for us. And I just remember you telling me, I am going to be present in these moments. Mm-hmm. And I think it reminded, uh, what you're saying now reminds me of that, of that time, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. being present. And that's uh, something we all struggle with even now in life, just day-to-day life, being yeah. present with our children and our spouse and our friends and our family. It is, it is not an easy thing to do and the pressures of life and the responsibilities um, can, can make it hard to do. You know, uh, in the months, well, about eight months ago, uh, uh, I was introduced to a little community in Southeast Georgia, uh, Greenbow House of Prayer. And They've been a real encouragement to me. And there's a little booklet that they put out. It's just a rule of life. And um, it's interesting, through this whole experience, back when it all started, one of the things that Mike and I intentioned to do was to make the very most of every moment that we had. Um, And I feel like that's something that we always tried to do. But his illness certainly brought home the importance of it. And that's what those months were focused on. And in this little rule of life, uh, first time I read through it, this, this one paragraph just jumped out at me because it took me right back to that. And it says, in gratitude for the gift of life, we will seek to be aware of God present in every moment. 
trusting that as we respond in faith to the duties of each day, God is revealed. And that's what I feel like those months of Mike's illness in, in a strange way were some of the most beautiful in our life together um, because our perspective was radically changed. And every single day we had was a gift in a way we had never realized before. And every single day we saw something of the beauty and tenderness of God's heart that we'd never seen before. Mm-hmm. And I saw, I saw the trust in God that my husband had in a way I'd never seen it before. He had such a love for his Savior. And I know anybody who knew him uh, remembers one of his favorite songs to uh, play, to sing, to lead in worship um, was uh, the hymn on Jordan's Stormy Bikes. And he would get really emotional singing that song. He never sang it in the slow, dirige-like way that it's often sung. That we always, <laughs> it was always with such celebration. And, uh, you know, in those months, we listened, and we listened to that song a lot um, with joy. With joy. But even from the first day that we sat down and talked to the oncologist, he, he told the doctors that he was good either way. And he just echoed in his own words, Paul's words, that you know, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And uh, he, he just had such a trust. It was humbling to watch. During this time, what were some scriptures that brought you comfort, brought Mike and you comfort? What are some verses that just... If you reflect on them now, you're like, that was very prevalent that time. Mm -hmm. Um, There are so many, so I won't tell you all of them, but the key ones, uh, you know, this one may not seem typical, but every single day, starting the first week that he was ill, we started praying together Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. And if I may just read that, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We read and prayed that daily and prayed it for a list of people. And Mike always ended off by praying it for me in Eden. For me, for us, that was a very powerful thing to do each day because I think in a time of, of illness and potential loss, it's very easy to turn our eyes inward 
but through leading us in that prayer every day, Mike really helped to turn our eyes outward and to turn them toward God, to glorify and to praise him and to turn our eyes towards the needs of others. And for me, um, having that now to continue doing that has been incredibly helpful through my time of grieving. Something else that we did during that time and that has carried on has been just camping out in the Psalms. Mm -hmm. Um, The Psalms have brought incredible comfort because, you know, David and the other psalmists spend a lot of time just being honest with God about the feelings, how they don't like the situation they're in, how they need his help to get out of it. And then, you know, praising him for his goodness, recounting the amazing ways that he has shown his goodness. And, and so for me, so many of the Psalms, many through like Psalm, around Psalm 23 on through into the 40s has just been kind of where I've camped. But one Psalm that stands out above the rest is the 23rd Psalm, mm-hmm. which I actually came to see with very different eyes than I used to see it. And um, I, I remember hearing the song, you know, learning as, as a child and then hearing it through the years, often at funerals, often used to uh, comfort. And I always thought of it like the person going through the valley of the shadow of death was the person facing death. But in my months after Mike died, this song brought me comfort because I started to see it as I was the one in the valley of the shadow. Mm. Um, That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. To me, the valley of the shadow, you know, the, what makes a shadow is not the sun itself. It's whatever's in essence between you and the sun, what's blocking the light of the sun. And to me in this, in this Psalm, you know, it's like God is the light of the sun and I'm down here walking in this valley and Mike's death is what's between me and God and creating the shadow that I'm walking in is how I saw that. But every time I read this psalm, I was reminded that even though I am in the shadow of grief and loss and suffering and all that comes with grief, God is still there. Mm-hmm. That shadow is actually the evidence of his presence. And that opened up a whole new understanding of God's goodness to me. The last part of that says, um, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I spent a lot of time thinking about what that really meant. What is the rod and what is the staff? And I think that those things are um, his the rod and the staff are used to guide and to protect. When you think of a shepherd, to guide sometimes with discipline, you know, a structure that we live within, boundaries, and to protect. And I know that that is what God has done in our lives. He has provided 
all that we need. He has been there through the darkest moments. He is still there. Um, he's not going anywhere. And we can rest safe in his care and fear no evil. That was a very beautiful end. I never thought of the shadow concept before in dealing with loss. But I think that brings to light that our comfort is in Christ. Yeah. And that not that we're not going to have these things that happen to us that are difficult and hard and long, but we also have a shepherd that's there to help carry us. That's right. That is right. So what would you just say to a church community right now who all of a sudden they have a couple in their church who's experiencing this similar situation of a spouse, you know, diagnosed with something very difficult or all of a sudden a spouse is lost. How can a church community come alongside someone Mm. and love them well in Mm. a very sudden or very quick um, turn of events Mm -hmm. in someone's life. Well, Christian, I think honestly that comes back again to presence. You know, before we went through this experience, before I went through it, I, I would have to say I always in situations like this found myself in a bit of, um, I think fear really is the best word. I always felt I didn't know what to say. I, I tend to get emotional. Um, like, like, I mean, feel other people's emotion and really in situations of loss or grief, I end up crying and I feel like maybe my tears are just making it worse for the person. And I, I hesitate because I don't know what to say or do. Um, and Mike, on the other hand, was always amazing at walking into those situations and carrying other people's suffering with such um, a dignity, I think. He, he could walk in and see a practical need and just do it. He could make people laugh. He could say things that I wouldn't dare say because I'd feel like, well, it's not a time for that. <laughs> but he always knew how to just be there for people. And as we went through this, I saw so many friends do that for us. They didn't just stand back and wait for us to ask for something. They took the time to notice a need and meet it. Practical needs. The people I'd say who really I look back on, and and this is an aside, I have to say, I realize that in many ways I'm only just coming out of that shadow and this experience of preparing my heart for this podcast this week has helped me to look back at those months and to see almost for the first time some of the situations where people stepped in and and loved us in amazing ways that I've been in such a haze for two years that I hadn't even really thought back about and it's been very helpful to me. Um, to realize with gratitude some of the people who loved us dearly through those times 
And they were the people who were just there. They did practical things that we needed doing around the house. They um, came and were just with us. They didn't feel like they had to say all the right things or to, um, you know, encourage us with scriptures or reassure us that there was purpose in all this. They didn't say those kinds of things. They simply were there with us, going through the suffering alongside of us, even though it was painful for them. I guess that's what I would say to a community who found themselves in the same situation is be there. It's not easy. It's uncomfortable at times, but that's what those people need. And, and I, I have realized too that all of us, because our personalities are different, our needs are different. We can't really assume that, that everybody's going to need exactly the same thing. I know for me and my personality, when I'm going through tough things, I'd rather have maybe one person around. But, you know, Mike's personality was different and he was happy to have a party around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it just really depends on who the person is. So, you know, knowing what they need. And I think that's a part of it too, is being in relationship with people close enough that when something like this happens, you already know what kinds of things will bring them comfort and help. Cultivating those relationships and community well beforehand helps you to be more prepared to step in and give what's needed in times of suffering. What would you want to tell a church member who maybe she is a newer widow or is possibly facing the death of a spouse in the near future. What are some things that you would like to say that could be an encouragement to her in these moments? Good question too. (laughs) I think first of all, I would like to encourage her to be okay with asking for help. And I guess what I mean by that is I didn't really know this before I lost Mike. But when, well, I knew this, when you're married, there is a, uh, you know, there's, there's, it's a team. It's a, a partnership. There's a complementary way that we uh, build life together. And one person's strengths are not in others and you put your strengths together and maybe one person, I don't know of an example right now. Um, one per in our, in our relationship, you know, um, Mike was really good at taking care of things around the house. And I was primarily the one that did the grocery shopping and the cooking, but in different relationships, you know, we have different strengths and we come together and we make it work just daily life. And I've since talked to other widows and widowers who find themselves in this realization that that whole other side is gone now. And all these things of daily life that used to just work smoothly don't work right right now, you know? Um, I guess a picture in my mind is like of a bike that has two wheels and it can move along very easily, but you lose one wheel and it can't really move like it used to. 
that is one of the things I think that took me by surprise was that um, all these things that I used to think Mike and I, you know, we did that together. So I'll be fine. I can do this. I know how to do those things. And suddenly there are things that he used to do that I can't do. Parts that he used to pick up in daily life and and take care of, I, I can't do now. And I find myself having to learn to ask for help. Um, and it's okay to ask for help. I think that's what I would tell someone who found herself in the same situation is um, it really is okay. It's not only a blessing to you for people to step in and give you aid where you need it, but it's also a strengthening thing for them. It's a, it's a good, it's a good thing. It builds up the body when we use our gifts to help each other. And sometimes we have to let people know that we need their help. What might be some things people should avoid saying to someone who's going through a similar situation? What are some things that might hinder relationship or make things more difficult? Hmm. You know, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind when I think about that is probably something I myself have said to people in the past and, and realize now it's not the thing to do or say <laughs> is, you know, the way that we like to remind ourselves and others that, you know, God is in control and that, you know, all these things happen for a reason and he's going to bless someone through this. Christian, all of those things and all the scriptures that say that are true. There's nothing about them that is untrue. I do believe them all. But I also know that when a person is going through that deep, dark time of grief, those words don't bring comfort. And I can't fully explain that, but I just know from experience they don't. That sometimes saying nothing is actually the better thing to say. Being there, giving love, support, a hug. But sometimes, sometimes saying nothing is the best thing to say. And that's hard when we want to fix the problem. Yes, it is. (laughs) We want to make things right. We are especially us as moms want to fix the things that are wrong. Yes. Yes. And so when we see a friend who's dealing with something difficult, we want to try to fix it and we can't fix it. And it's hard just to sit there and be present and not because we want to do everything we can to make it right when we can't. We do. We do. We do, and it is a lesson. I think I told you at the beginning of the podcast, my daughter is 25. And, um, you know, it is a lesson that I have learned very late as a mother that um, I, I think of, of just listening well and not trying to fix. Letting, letting my child vent <laughs> in the way that God lets me do it. And just listening and realizing that I don't have to have the answer. I am not, clearly, I am not in control. Were I in control, I would have never chosen this. 
And I spent a lot of months telling God I didn't want this. <laughs> but all of this experience is teaching me that it's okay not to have the right thing to say. Just to be present. I say is teaching me because I have a feeling that it's a long road to learn. So how can we be praying for and coming alongside families and young widows? What are some things that we can specifically pray for them, pray for their families? I think pray for um, them to trust God. Pray for them to trust the body. Um, Pray for peace. Pray for people to um, help them in their suffering. To, to walk along beside them. And, and practically speaking, um, you know, one way that we, I know particularly in the South, really show our love to people when they're going through hard times is through meals. And it truly is a beautiful and wonderful thing to do for people, to provide meals. Because in those days of grief, you know, even the most normal everyday tasks, like preparing food, seem overwhelming. But there are other tasks like that, that that can be, you know, helpful to people who are in that space. Um, things like, you know, if they have children at home, giving them uh, carpooling help. Or, um, you know, if it's a woman, helping with yard work, cutting the grass, doing odd jobs around the house that her husband may have done. Uh, if it's a, a widow, uh, I'm sorry, a widower, uh, you know, a, a man finds himself in a unique place too. And I know it's it's awkward sometimes for, you know, a woman to step in and um, help a widower, but practical things like offering to grocery shop uh, for the family, if that's not something that he's been accustomed to having to do or taking like freezer meals. And I'm specifically thinking of people, you know, who have children at home that makes it a little harder when you're trying to do all the different roles. And, and I guess that one other thing on that end, I would say is don't forget about them. I think often has been, and I say this because I've been in this situation myself. I think often after a few months, life's back to normal for us, even if we are grieving the loss of the person, but it takes, life is never normal again for the widow or the widower. There's something that will always be missing, even once they heal um, for the family, not just the husband and wife, but for the children too. And so, you know, being remembered for people to continue to remember that you're, that you're there, that you may still be hurting, that you may still have needs, that you still miss your spouse. It means a lot to be remembered. Well, Anne, I'm so grateful that you were willing to share um, the truth of what the Lord has done in your life mm. what, and what the Lord has done and did in Mike's life. Mm. Um, and I appreciate you and your willingness to um, share with us. Well, thank you, Christian, for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to share. It's been, um, yeah, I I thank you for it. Now I'm going to close this in a word of prayer, and we'll talk to you next time.
Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you for your love and that in the midst of loss and feeling lost, Lord, you surround us with your presence and not only with your presence, Lord, but with the presence of other believers. Lord, we thank you for the testimony of Mike. Lord, we thank you for the love that you gave him for you and for his wife, Anne, when they were married, and for his daughter, Eden. Lord, we thank you for his testimony that in life and in death, he longed to love you and serve you. Lord, I thank you for Anne. Lord, I thank you that she can share Mike's life with others, Lord, and that she's able to share how you have loved her in the midst of losing him and how you have been faithful and with her through these hard, difficult days. Lord, we are grateful that you are present and we thank you for all that you do for us. Lord, continue to lead us and guide us and comfort us as we continue to seek and serve you with the lives that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.